Yes. And so if you have righteousness, you have life. Uh, and, 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 you know, that's much more valuable than having a fortress. The income of the wicked is punishment. So how long do riches provide you security? At the maximum until you die. Will riches help you after you're dead? Not one little bit. Someone said there are no pockets in a funeral shroud. You know, you don't get to carry your money with you, even if they put it in the casket with you. It's not going to really help. You know, and really, you could even say something different than that. It's not just that money won't help you after you're dead. What else can you say about how long will money help you in this life? Till you lose it or you run out of it. Remember the prodigal son? Do you have money? <coughs> Did you know, provided some things he wanted in life, and then he ran out. Well, it doesn't help you after that. You know, there's some other things. There are times when you have money, but you know, you can lose your health, you can lose your freedom, you might go to jail, you know, etc. So money, it has its limits. But but with righteousness, you get life. With wickedness, you get punishment. So the only true security, the only ultimate security, are the wages of righteousness. You know, and, and really, you think about how do righteous and wicked men use their money? See, look at the end of verse 13, 16. The income of the wicked punishment. What's a wicked man going to, to use his money for? Get out of 17. 
ingredients and respond the right way to correction? Exactly. When somebody instructs you or reproves you, what should you do? Listen. Pay attention. You know, if you don't, what will happen to you? Go astray. You'll go astray. No, no, you'll go the wrong direction. Reproof and instruction is really good for you because it helps keep it on the right path. You know, if you don't listen, you're not going to do the right thing. Pretty simple. Look at 18. Um, look at two things you shouldn't do with hatred. In verse 8, in, in the first part of verse 18, what should you not do with hatred? What's going to happen if you cover it up? That's right. You're going to be deceiving. You're going to be dishonest. You know what will usually eventually happen if you hate? Probably grows. Yeah. It's kind of the resentment sort of builds. And it just festers. And it gets infected. And then what usually happens eventually? Blows up. Yeah. Creates an explosion. You know, some little spark sets it off. It's like, whoa! But it's because you concealed the hatred. What's the other thing that's not good to do with hatred in the end of verse 18? Spread it around. Yeah. Places. Yeah, and that's not wise. It'll hurt relationships. You know, this idea of venting. You know, I'm just, I don't like somebody, I'm going to tell everybody about it. Well, that's not smart. So what do you get out of that proverb bottom line? It's not good to conceal your hatred. It's not good to talk about your hatred. Get over it. Yeah. I say there's nothing good to do with hatred. You know, either way, it's not good. Uh, so I think that's, uh, to some extent, where that one ends up. Uh, you can think about that a little bit more. Uh, verse 19, he says this a lot. What's the lesson in verse 19? Don't talk a lot. Yeah, don't talk a lot. Because the more you talk, well, the more you talk, the more risk there is that you'll say something that's not right. Isn't that true? You know, it's kind of like sheep. The more you've got, the more chances one of them will go astray. You know, so be careful about that. Um, think about some of the bad things you can do by talking too much. Well, what, are, what are some things, as you start thinking about, what are some things if you talk too much, you're probably going to end up doing that aren't good? You're going to end up lying. That's bad. Gossip. Gossiping, and that's bad. Running somebody down. Running somebody down. Trying to be prideful and build yourself up. Yes! Selfishly revealing your pride. You're probably not going to listen if you're talking about you. You're probably not going to listen. That's exactly right. It's hard to listen and talk at the same time. 
What else? Bad language. Just be too negative. Okay, you could you may be grumbly and complaining. Uh, how about these? You'll probably end up making some promises you can't keep. You'll probably end up embarrassing yourself. You'll probably end up revealing your ignorance. You'll probably end up boring somebody. You know, and so forth and so on. There's all kinds of bad stuff that happens when you talk a lot. Isn't that true? So, what should we do out of this proverb? How do we do that? Be more discerning of how the things we say may affect others who hear it. Yes, we have to weigh our words more and really reflect before we speak. If you just kind of, you know, I always heard, you know, engage your mouth before your brain's in here. You know, you kind of talk, just kind of blurt things out when you haven't really thought them through, that's when you get in trouble. And so the right thing to do is you kind of weigh out your words and you only speak when you have something to say that's really helpful. And you only speak enough. So have you ever heard somebody that when they first started talking, they said something pretty good? And then they just kept talking and talking and talking and talking. I know some preachers like that. <laughs> you know, the first time they make the point, it's a pretty good point. By the fifth or sixth time they say the same thing again, they've kind of diluted its effectiveness. And it's not very helpful. Or, you know, they go too far. You know, do you like to talk? Well, girls and guys answer that differently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, but, yeah, wonder why we like to talk so much. You know, you think there must be some kind of tickle in our voice box or something that gets a you know, pleasant sensation out of, out of talking. I don't know. Uh, why is it that that's such a cool thing to us? We need to restrain ourselves. But I want you to look at verse 20 also. Is, is it always bad to talk? Look at the tongue of the righteous as his choice. You know, there are some great things in good words. Has anyone ever said anything to you that really helped you? The life made a difference in your life kind of helped you? There has been for me. There have been some things said to me. There have been some things I've heard people say that have had a great impact on me. There have been some sermons I've heard, comments in Bible classes and all, that were like super helpful to me. There have been personal conversations where people talk to me about things that really made a difference for me. I mean, there, if I took out all the beneficial words that have been spoken in my presence, well, I'd be a lot poorer. So it's not like words are always bad. They can be super valuable and super helpful. We just have to use them wisely. Now, can you look at 
the contrast in verse 20. And what do you learn by that? What does the tongue begin with? What you say, it comes from the heart. Yes. Do you see how that the tongue of the righteous is choice of the heart of the wicked is worth little? Because the heart produces the words. You know, and with the wicked man, what he thinks is worthless, let alone what he says. So it all has to start in the heart. You have to have the right thoughts, the right mindset, and that leads to the right words. Comments and thoughts through verse 21. Through, through verse 20. I think one thing that we really need to be careful of as Christians is um, that we may you know, joke too much or be <laughs> too sarcastic with people and we need to really think of how even those things that we say may affect you know, those who hear them. Um, how many of you have been hurt by somebody telling a joke that, about, that, that affected you personally? Some of you have been hurt by people joking, but it hurt your feelings pretty bad. Getting mostly nods, yes. You need to watch them. You know, be wise and thoughtful about what we say. Good point. Look at verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed men, but fools die for lack of understanding. So, the, a righteous man will nourish other people with their words. But what about a fool? That's exactly right. He can't even beat himself. You know, so much important in whether or not we're righteous or a fool. A righteous man's got enough to feed other people. The fool can't even beat himself. Thoughts in verse 21? Like, um, how it says, uh, lips of the righteous feed me. Last night in the men's devotion, we talked about how the time when Jesus was at the well with the woman, and how she came out to get some water, but she ran back, leaving her picture, not caring about the water, caring about the words that Jesus spoke, going back and bringing other people too. That feeds many, and way better than, um, any water could ever fill someone plants a spring of eternal water flowing inside. Excellent point. That's exactly right. What a blessing that she went back into the city and told these people about Jesus. You know, what we say can make a huge difference for other people. Really can help them. If we'll focus our heart on saying the right thing. Look. Maybe this is just part of our but it seems like a lot of times we have this idea to where being a Christian is private to the extent that we don't have a responsibility to other people. Where as long as we're okay with what we're doing in respect to God, then we don't have any responsibility for other people to worry about other people and don't other people try to tell us how to be a Christian. And, and I think that this is one of the main passages that shows that really part of being a Christian is helping other people. Is trying to uh, build them up and edify them and to share the knowledge with them. We really need to think about 
bit more of a responsibility towards that as part of being a Christian. Absolutely. Yeah. We ought to be feeding many with our words. That's that's very important. Absolutely. Other thoughts on this? Look at that again. 
Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. Comments or questions on that? Look at 24. Look at the expectations of the wicked man and the righteous man. What, what's, what's the wicked man thinking about his future? He fears it. Yeah. Why? If you don't have the wisdom of the Lord, what do you have, ultimately? Yes. And usually, uh, I don't know how to say it, but what, what you do will bear fruit. You know, it will come back to you. Yes. His future is really uncertain. Yes. But we think about it. You're a wicked person. And you're thinking about the future, how you feel. your life when you were doing bad? Maybe hiding it, but you were doing bad. Scared. Why are you scared? I want to get caught. You're worried about getting caught. You know you're not what you need to be. Your conscience bothers you. Your relationship with God is distant. You feel guilty. You're worried about what God's going to do to you, what the consequences are going to be, you have dread. You know, have you ever been like that? It's pretty miserable when you do it wrong. Have you been there? Felt that? What do we usually try to do? If you're, if you're not doing well, and you have those fears and those anxieties and that guilt, what do you usually try to do? I'm more busy to distract your mind. Yes! Do things to escape so you don't have to face your fears, and your insecurities, and your anxieties. Have you ever done that? You know, keep your, keep your mind occupied with something else, and that way you don't have to deal with it. And Gary, yes. I, I don't want to take this out of its context. I don't think that's what this is talking about. Do you find it strange that verse uh, 23 refers to sport? Because, you know, in our, in our society today, I mean, how do we uh, dole our minds in, you know, we can just turn on the TV and watch sports or whatever, American Idol, whatever takes our minds off of the bad stuff. You, you wonder why people get so hooked on TV, video games, Facebook, you know, etc. Well, part of it is they're trying to escape. But the fact is, that doesn't work ultimately. Because what happens with the wicked man's fears? They find him, exactly. It's going to come back on him. His fears are true. He's fearing for good reason. That guilt and that dread and that sense of, you know, kind of impending doom. It's not just, you know, what would the psychiatrist say? What are you supposed to do when you have anxieties, according to the psychiatrist? Yeah, relax, take pills, so you don't feel it, so it doesn't bother you. 
you know, deal with your past so you don't have this guilt complex and all this kind of stuff, so you don't feel those things. Well, you know, I mean, um, I don't know, what would be a good illustration? Uh, what, if, what if you are driving a car that has no brakes? You ever done that before? No. <laughs> I would not highly recommend it. I have. Well, how was it? I drove through a garage door. <laughs> that was probably not a good experience either for the door of the car. Or me, yeah. Did you know it didn't have brakes? Yeah, I was the one who put the brakes on. <laughs> I changed the brake pads. You have to pump the brake pedal first. Yeah. And I decided to roll the car ahead a little bit. And I didn't have the fluid pressure pumped up in the in the brakes yet. All sense of security. Didn't Whoa. realize it wasn't going to stop. See. Wow. There are people who actually drive cars that don't have brakes. Now, you know, theoretically they wouldn't drive them real long or whatever, but some people know this car doesn't really have hardly any brakes. Can you imagine how you feel driving a car with, which basically had no brakes? How would that make you feel? Very tense. What do you have to do if you're driving a car with no brakes? Play on it. Yeah! <laughs> exactly right! You know, guys who do that, you know, you're like, following the way back and you know you're gearing down and you're doing all this kind of stuff because you've got all these fears you know about what may happen well what if you just decide oh that's stupid I got this complex of fears I'm gonna just forget my fears I'm not gonna worry about this because worry just makes you neurotic and so you say hey I'm just gonna drive this car like normal is that a good idea yeah I mean whoa that's even worse so, you know, this idea of, well, these dreads and this guilt that you feel and this uneasiness, oh, just take some pills so you don't feel it anymore. Well, that's dumb. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. Oh, what if, you know, I know you're too young to probably feel this. I am too, thankfully. But, but, you know, would it be a good idea if you started getting terrible chest pains, if you downed enough aspirin so you just didn't feel them? Of course, aspirin probably helped Tylenol. Uh, aspirin actually doesn't help you right now with that. But, but, you know, it's like, we're just covering it up. Doesn't change the fact that you got some big problem. You know, it may just be indigestion, but you better go to the hospital and find out. You know, because uh, otherwise they could, they could really kill you. Gary, have you ever known a person who didn't want to go to the doctor because they might receive bad news? Yes, I have. Yeah. I had a father, I had a stepfather that was that way. He didn't want to go to the doctor because they might tell him something bad. Yeah, they might find out he had cancer. Right. So if he doesn't know, it won't happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't make sense. So this is really powerful. What the wicked fears will come upon him. But look at the other side. What about the righteous man? What did it say about him? All his desires will be granted. Wow! That doesn't seem hardly fair. The guy would, just because you're righteous, he'd grant all your desires? Why would that be? It's different desires. Why would you say that? Because, well, the whole theme of Proverbs is that the wise man looks to the fear of the Lord in the relationship with God. So what are his desires? To, have, to be able to be close to God. Yeah, the, the righteous man's desires are for God's will to be done and God's purposes to be served. No wonder they're accomplished. 
Hey, if you're a righteous man and you really want God's will to be done, guess what? What you desire will happen. It's wonderful. Um, you know, uh, Psalm 20, verse 4. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. And uh, Psalm 21, 2. You have given him his heart's desire. And in both of those, the context is he was wanting God's will to be done. He was wanting God's purposes to be fulfilled. If you're a righteous man, you've got a great blessing. What you want to happen. Isn't that great? Uh, Psalm uh, 37 also talks along that line. Uh, so you can, uh, you can look forward to having your desires met if you're a righteous man. All right, comments and questions on uh, verse... 24? It could be that they're the exact same thing, too. The desire of the righteous is the fear of the wicked. I mean, it, and I sort of see this, too, as maybe the, 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 what the wicked fears will come. You know, maybe you look at something like death. The wicked fears that, but the desire of the righteous, death would be the same thing. So these actions, you can't, maybe some things that you can't control or things that are going to come upon you, but one you're, one person is fearing them, the other one is desiring them. That's sure true, isn't it? You know, how a wicked man and a righteous man looks at the same thing is totally different. And uh, something like death really shows that. Good point. Other thoughts? All right, um, in 25. Uh, wow. Do you see the difference between the wicked man and the righteous man here? It's a difference in what? Stability. Stability in what situation? Storm. Yeah. <laughs> when the whirlwind wind comes, what happens to the wicked man? He's gone. What about the righteous man? Absolutely. You've got security, stability. You know, this makes so much difference. The wicked man, he's just blown away. Do you know what psalm relates to this? Psalm 1, yeah. If you haven't studied Psalm 1, study Psalm 1. What a difference between the righteous and the wicked man in terms of their foundation. And then, and I want you to, you know, have you been, have you been getting a feel for these Proverbs? You're reading through this. I don't know, when, when, when we heard this read a minute ago, if you were paying attention, was there something that struck you about verse 26? Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. What did you think when you came to that one? Vinegar's not very pleasant. <laughs> yeah, but not just that. What did you think about that proverb in this list? It's out of place. Yeah, it really is. It's like, all, most of these others are like the righteous and the wicked, the wise man and the fool, you know, stuff like that. This is like vinegar and teeth and smoke at the ox. Yeah, it's a weird way for a proverb in chapter 10 even to begin. And actually, ironically, or maybe by design, this proverb of talking about somebody who really doesn't fit in, somebody who's out of place, a messenger who's lazy. He doesn't fit well. You know, I think by design, the proverb's out of place to talk about a person who's out of place. 
who doesn't work well in the context. So I think this is a, there's several proverbs like that. And whenever you find a proverb that sort of doesn't fit in, if you'll notice, it's talking about something that doesn't fit. So I, I think there's a, a point to that. Here, you know, what's going to happen if you entrust an important responsibility to a lazy person? Yeah, and how's that going to work? Yeah, it's going to be a problem. It's just like vinegar to the teeth or smoke to the eyes. Very painful, irritating is better. Distracting. I got another word. Unhelpful, that's good. Annoying was what I was thinking of, yeah. Very annoying. And it's just like, ugh. You know, it's kind of like, I'm bad about this. Now, some of you probably doesn't bother. Any of you just get chills up your spine when somebody runs their fingers across a blackboard? Yeah. No. Ah, oh, terrible. That's the, the important responsibility entrusted to a lazy person. Work and not idleness is the mark of a servant of God. You see that all through Proverbs. Diligent labor. Really hard work. Getting the job done. Take care of your responsibilities. What about this? You think this happen, might, might have any application to us? Maybe even. Uh, most of you are young enough to still be living with your parents. How many times do your parents say, would you please blank? Take out the trash, mow the yard, wash the dishes, pick up your room, whatever. And what do you always say? I'll do it later. Yeah, I'll do it. Later. later. And what usually happens? You forget to do it. Or you just don't. Or you just don't. Do you see this? Don't give an important responsibility to a lazy person. What does that tell you? <laughs> what what should you do to correct this problem? Yeah. Why are we so intent on putting off what we need to do? Because we're living in the moment. Yes, we live in the moment. We don't want to do it. We feel like it's wasting time. We feel like it's wasting time, but really it's because what we want to do is more important. Yeah, because we're lazy. That's my point. You know, just get up and do what you need to do. You know, if, if mom and dad say, go take out the trash, you know the best time to do it? Jump up and do it. Get, you, get the jobs done. Work before pleasure. You got something you need to do, get it done. Then, putting it off, that really make you feel better. Short run, yes. But while you're having the fun, what's in the back of your mind? I gotta take this. I'm gonna do this. It just weighs you down. You know, I'm like that with responsibilities I don't want to do. Like, I need to figure my taxes. That is one of my least favorite jobs. I hate figuring taxes. There's a lot of complications that are beneficial to me financially, but are a headache to me accountingly. And so far, I haven't figured my taxes yet this year. You know, and so it's hanging over me. And the more days go by, the more pressure's on top of my head, pushing me down. And kind of, you know, have you ever had this uh, sense of, of like, 
burden that just kind of weights you down. It's like it's kind of pulling you under and, and you start even shrinking because you just feel, yeah, that's the way it is. I need to get my taxes done when you need to get done. Comments and questions through 26. 20, yeah. Not 
Jason. The one thing that's really helpful for me is you know, seeing you make time for what's important. It doesn't hurt to schedule. You know, schedule time with the Lord. Yes. Just to spend time with His Word. The more you do it, the more you learn to enjoy. All that's very true. I think all those are good suggestions. I have a couple more. If it's Bible study or prayer, why do you not like it? That's part of it. Are you feel guilty about some study in your life? That's exactly right. There's a whole bunch of time that when we don't want to do those things, it's because we don't feel close to God, because we're covering up sin. I've gotten to this point. When I start talking to somebody and they tell me, you know, Bible study is really boring. I really don't like praying. My next question is, what are you doing wrong? Because that's usually the reason. I want you to think about that. Uh, I suppose also there's some people who just never developed an appetite for those things. Maybe they've never done it enough. They don't realize how exciting and encouraging it is to listen to the Lord and to talk to Him. But, you know, there are certain people that I really don't like to be around and I don't like to talk to. And it's not because they're obnoxious. They're, when, I, when I do something wrong to somebody, I try to avoid them. I don't feel comfortable around them. Have you ever been like that? Have you ever done something wrong, said something bad about somebody or whatever, you know, didn't act right toward them, and right, and after that, you like don't like to be around them. Think about that. But you don't like doing those things. I bet you anything, you're hiding some sin. The other thing that I would say about that is, you know, one of the foods that I like the most. I really, really, really like English peas. Those green round peas. And you know why I like them so much? Because I decided I was going to like them several years ago. I hated them as a kid. When I was about 18, I decided this is stupid. I'm going to start liking foods that are good for me. And I actually developed a taste for it. And now I like those peas, not because I'm supposed to, but because they really have a good flavor. I really like them. You may not like Bible study and prayer because you just haven't done it enough to learn to like it. But it's like, wow. I, it's, it's not, it's weird. I would have never thought, if you'd have told me when I was 17, you're going to get to where you really, really actually like English bees, I would have said, no way, they're horrible. But now I really, really do. So make yourself keep trying it until you like it and watch out for those uh, hidden sins in those would be a couple more things I'd add to everything else we said. Thoughts? Okay. Um, 27. Look at uh, the fear of the Lord. Back to that. For long's life, the years of the wicked will be shortened. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? You want a longer or shorter life? Uh, verse 28. Look at the expectations of the righteous and the wicked. 
The hope of the righteous is gladness, the expectation of the wicked will perish. So now do you see this? In 24, what happens with the wicked man's fears? They happen. What happens in 28 with the wicked man's hopes? They don't. They don't happen. That's a bummer. <laughs> Poor wicked man. All of his dreads happen. All of his hopes don't. You know what I learned from that? He's looking for his eyes. Yeah. Don't be a wicked man. That's, that's not a good thing. Whereas, you know, what the righteous man wants, that, that does happen. So much better to be a righteous man. You know, verse 29, the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. You, you know, God blesses righteous people and, and punishes wicked people. And you can't avoid that, so be righteous. Verse 30, again, righteousness will give you stability. The righteous will never be shaken. The wicked will not dwell in the land. So what I see in all of that is the security for the righteous man. He has something solid he's building his life on. He has security. Comments and questions on those things? There's nothing, nothing shaky about a, what a righteous man's life is built on. It's really soft. It's so much better. That's what he's trying to get us to see. Look at 31 and 32. Now we're back to kind of what I'd say is a sub-theme of this chapter. 31 and 32, what's the common thread? What we say. Yes. And what do we learn in 31 and 32? Yes, you're right. What we know and what we like. 
up. Good point. You really can tell so much about somebody's heart, their life, their character, who they really are by what they say. Isn't that true? Other comments and questions? Tell you what I'm going to do. You guys need your break earlier rather than later in this class. Uh, so, let's take a uh, 